This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Chapter 26 is where we will be this morning. and We're in this series, God Became looking at these different aspects of what it means that Jesus, as the Son of God, took on flesh and became a person, and what that means for us. And so we saw that Jesus became one who was obedient. He, he became a learner and a grower. We've seen these things that are, are very human. Uh, and one of the things we're going to look at this morning that I think is, is often overlooked in the church, but I'm really excited to look at it together, is this aspect of Jesus' humanity that he came as a friend. Jesus came as a friend. And as I thought about this topic, I, I thought back to a time when uh, my wife Lindsay and I, we served in a ministry called Wildlife, uh, which if you've been around the church and you know what Young Life is, Wildlife is an offshoot of that. It's, a, it's an outreach ministry to junior high students. And so uh, we would go into public schools and befriend kids and uh, with, with the goal of, of A, being their friend, and really uh, the phrase that we use in Young Life is earn the right to be heard. Uh, which means I want to show I really care about you and I really want to care about you. Uh, we want to befriend these kids and with the goal of sharing Jesus with them. And so uh, we did that. We went in and we made friends. Actually, if you were to see our wedding photos, you would notice uh, that there are junior high students in our wedding party. Uh, they were our friends. Uh, we had different wildlife kids who lived with us because of rough patches in their life because they were our friends. And so we befriended them. And one of the things that we would do with wildlife, uh, one of the big events we did every year, was a lock-in at LaserQuest. Uh, LaserQuest is a big laser tag arena. I actually don't know if it survived the pandemic, because I know some of them didn't, but this big laser tag arena, and we would do lock-ins, uh, which is we would come uh, at about 8 p.m. on Friday night, and we would play laser tag until about 7 a.m. Saturday morning, uh, which now, being in my mid-30s, that sounds horrendous. But at the time, being in my early 20s, it was great. Uh, we had a blast with the kids, and we're just there with these kids eating really crummy pizza, drinking really sugary cheap drinks, and playing laser tag all night with our friends. Now, one of the things that, that I had the benefit of was uh, being uh, one of the male leaders and being a little bit older, and the, the boys all looked up to me. And so what they wanted to do was team up together. The game is a free-for-all but they wanted to have these informal teams. It was, I want to be on Tyler's team. I want to be on Tyler's team. So I would have this group of teammates. They're my friends. And we would go into the battle, kind of an informal uh, uh, group. Now, you guys have heard this before, and, and some of you that know, know me know this. I am exceedingly competitive. I want to win at everything I do. And so I'm ashamed to say that one of the things I would do during the game with my friends is while we're in the heat of battle, I'd be towards the back, and every now and then, I'd take a shot at one of my friends. <laughs> and they don't know who shot him, right? They don't know if that came from the front or from the back, but I want to make sure I was going to win this game. So every now and then, you know, they call it friendly fire. It was unfriendly fire. Unfriendly fire where I would take some shots at my teammates to make sure that I won. I know, it's, it's shameful. It's silly. And that's a silly example. Uh, but the reality is that we have all had friendships where we've taken unfriendly fire, haven't we? We've all had friends, uh, friendships where someone that you trusted, someone that you befriended, all of a sudden they, they take advantage of you or they betray you 
or, or they, they take a shot at you when you're not looking. We've all had friendships like that, haven't we? The flip side of that is we've all been that friend. We've all been that friend who is an unfriendly friend. If we're honest, we've all been that. And the reason I know I can say that with confidence that we've all been that is because the record of human history is unfriendliness. Since the time of, uh, of the fall, since the time of, of Cain and Abel, the record of humanity is unfriendliness towards one another, even those who are friends. So we all have this experience of, maybe you're dealing with it right now. You think of a friendship that recently you've experienced some brokenness and you go, oh yeah, I can relate to that. I know what it's like to be abandoned or turned on, or, or maybe it's just unintentional and you're slighted, whatever it may be. Now, here's what we should be astounded by this morning. The God who created us became a man, stepped into the earth, took on flesh, and by choice decided to have friends like us, friends who are unfriendly. He didn't have to do that. No one forced him to do that, but he came in and he chose to have friends. Even though the record of human history is enmity, strife, war, divisions, unfriendliness, God became a friend. You know, even, you don't have to just read the Bible to find this. Even uh, secular sociologists, uh, secular evolutionists will talk about how, how tribalistic people are. Now, they'll attribute that to, to different things, but, but it's recognized in the church and everywhere that people suck. People are mean. People are unfriendly. And our God took on flesh and became friends with us. And that's our big idea this morning. We want to walk away from this text remembering is that in Christ, God becomes friends with the unfriendly. That's what he does. As, as God becomes a man, as Jesus steps into the earth, he becomes friends with the unfriendly. And my goal is to show us how that is really good news for you and I this morning really good news, that God would become friends with the unfriendly. Uh, we're going to see this morning in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. We're going to see this, try and understand the text a little, break it down and talk about what it means for us. But this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. It's Matthew 26, verse 36 says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Remain here and stay awake with me. We find Jesus here with his friends. At a moment of deepest need, as we're going to see, and he is here with his friends. We want to ask a couple questions of the text this morning. The first is, what does it mean? that God became friends. What does it mean that God became a friend? And then as we seek to live it out, we're going to ask, what does it mean for me? Or another way to ask that would be, why does it matter <laughs> that God became a friend? And, and one of the things I want to first highlight about the friends that Jesus had, well, look at who were his friends. It says here in verse 36, he came with them. Who's them? Who are they? To a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples so they are the disciples, and they are Jesus' followers, but they're more than that. They're his friends. He's got a relationship with them. If you read the Gospels, you'll find that he is teaching them, and he's instructing them, and he's leading them, but it's more than that. They're friends. He actually tells them at one point, I don't call you servants anymore. 
I call you friends. So Jesus is here with his friends. He goes to this garden. That's what Gethsemane is. It's a garden in an olive uh, patch, and he goes with them. We want to think about for a minute, who were Jesus' friends? And one of the first things, if you were to look at all of his friends that I think jumps off the page, is that they were a diverse group of friends. There was a lot of diversity within his friends. Now, uh, what's mentioned here is the disciples, the 12 men that Jesus was kind of pouring into. And, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, with, with biblical imagery and the 12 tribes of, of Judah, of, of Israel. We won't get into all that. Uh, but, uh, but there's tw- these 12 men that he's pouring into. It's a patriarchal society, so they're kind of highlighted throughout the Gospels. But there's also, in a really countercultural way that I won't spend too much time on, there's a group of women that follow him around that he's extremely close with as well. They actually support his ministry. Those women are actually the first ones to see Jesus risen from the dead after he dies and rises again. They're actually the first ones to preach the gospel. Jesus is risen. He's got a diverse group of friends. There's men there. There's women there. They're also diverse ideologically. So there's one of his friends. His name is Matthew, and he's what's known as a tax collector. So essentially, uh, if you don't know the story, the, the, the people of God are, are under Roman uh, uh, persecution. The, the Romans are, are, are uh, infiltrating their land. The Romans are in charge. And some Jewish people would go to work for the Romans, and they would be what's called a tax collector. So they're collecting taxes from the Jewish people and giving it to the Romans and also keeping some for themselves. Now, as you can imagine, it's a deeply polarizing position to have to be a tax collector. So that's Matthew. And then Jesus has another friend. His name is Simon, and he's what's known as a zealot. And zealots, their entire uh, kind of ethos and their, their entire identity was to rebel against the Romans. They looked at them as basically satanic. So here you have a tax collector and a zealot. They're in the 12 of Jesus' friends. It would be in today's uh, terms like if you had MTG and AOC in a group of friends. <laughs> Some of you don't know. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the same group of friends, right? Here they are. They're militant on opposite ends ideologically. They hate one another. This is how amazing the friendship of God is, that he can actually bring people like that together. We're friends from very different parts of the world, different walks of life, different ideologies. We hate each other under normal circumstances because that's humanity, And yet Jesus says, no, you're going to be friends. You're going to be friends with me, and you're going to be friends with one another. Jesus has a diverse group of friends. And actually, if you were to extend out from his disciples, you would see this. Jesus is friends with people who are known as sinners. Uh, Sinners, there's there's a guy named Zacchaeus who Jesus befriends, who's kind of the the chief picture of this. He's a tax collector, but he hangs out with sinners. They're they're prostitutes. They're uh, gamblers. They're promiscuous. They're whatever label you want to put on them. Those are the sinners. And Jesus sees one of them who's, who's influential, who kind of gathers the other sinners, and he says, hey, you, I'm coming over to your house. We're going to have lunch together. We're going to be friends. Jesus is known as the friend of sinners. He goes to them and befriends them. He's also friends with really religious people. We find that he befriends a man named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. He's part of the religious elite, and they become friends. Jesus is friends with poor people. He's friends with wealthy people. He's actually buried in the tomb of a guy named Joseph who is very wealthy, and he's Jesus' friend. In fact, some commentators will say this Gethsemane, this garden that Jesus is at was a place that he and his disciples visited often, and it was probably owned by one of his wealthy friends. 
He had friends across the spectrum. Jesus was also a friend with the regulars. You know, the people like you and me. Their names are Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're just, there's regular old people. Blue collar, you know, working the nine to five. Uh, nothing too crazy about them, but they are some of his closest friends. Jesus has friends all over the spectrum. It's a diverse group, and he brings them all together. But he's also got kind of an inner circle of friends. We see here that uh, in verse uh, 37, he takes along with him Peter and James and John. So he goes to Gethsemane with the 12. He leaves some of them behind, and he takes his closest friends. You see, Jesus had some level of relational wisdom. Uh, Maybe you could call it boundaries. Uh, You know, some people he was closer with than others. It's, it's wisdom that we can pull from. We see that Jesus, even in his limitations as a man, as God in the flesh, he, had to, he couldn't be best friends with everyone. He had some limitations there, and there were these three closer friends. Just, I'm just trying to humanize Jesus' experience. Can you imagine with me? You know, often in the Bible, we see these pictures of Jesus teaching, and it's him standing alone, right, teaching people. But that wasn't the majority of his life, was it? Imagine with me Jesus just around the table with his friends. They're drinking a glass of wine. Uh, Someone tells a joke. They're all laughing. Jesus is laughing so hard that he cries. Can you picture that? I was with a group of friends last night, and and afterwards, after everyone dispersed, one of the guys texts, he said, my stomach hurts from laughing so much tonight. You ever had that feeling? Jesus is there. Just picture it. With his friends, they're just laughing. They're just having a good time. Maybe he's listening to someone else's story. You know, some of his friends were fishermen. I'm sure they had some crazy stories out on the water. And he's just there among the group, hearing their stories, listening to them, caring for them. Imagine them caring for people together. Just picture it. Jesus was friends with people. And they were a diverse group. There was a lot of differences. But there's one thing that all of his friends had in common. There's one thing that all of those friends, the extended friends, anyone who calls him a friend today, there's one thing that we all have in common. And we see this hinted at, beginning in verse 39. You can follow along with me if you still have your Bible open. So Jesus is in the garden. He said he's deeply grieved to the point of death. We'll come back to that in a minute. He tells his closest friends, remain here and stay awake with me. Then going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, to his friends, who he just begged, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. He comes to his friends and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you can stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time he went away, And prayed, Father, if it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again to his friends and found them sleeping because they could not find, uh, keep their eyes open. And after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And he came to his friends again and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. This uh, picture here, this story of his friends falling asleep on him is a picture of what all his friends would do to him in his moment of need. But just put yourself in the story for a minute. Have you ever had a friend, I've had this before, who calls you late at night 
and they are in despair. They are, there is something going on in their life, and they are hurting, and they are desperate. And you either, you're on the phone with them, or you go to their house. I had one once where I went over to their house, and, and Lindsay was at home like, what is happening? <laughs> is Tyler alive? You know, three, four hours later, is he alive? Is it okay? Well, yeah, my friend is in despair. In that moment, are you sleeping? No. It's like you might have been in a dead sleep. They call you. Okay, I'm wide awake. I might as well have slept 10 hours. I'm ready to go. I'm here. I'm with you. You're in despair. And yet here's Jesus with his friends, and they are sleeping. They fall asleep on him. You see, they don't understand the gravity of what Jesus is about to face. They don't understand the importance of what he's going through. They don't understand the depths of his anguish. They don't understand what's happening. Have you ever had a friend like that? Where you reach out to them in despair and it's like they just don't get it. They don't get the gravity of what you're going through. They dismiss it. They downplay it. Maybe they don't even answer. And you think, man, I feel so let down. Jesus knows what you feel like. He knows, because in his moment where he was grieved to the point of death, and he asked his friends, just be with me, stay awake, they fell asleep. They didn't get it. Jesus understands. He was a friend, but it's even deeper than that, because Jesus says here in verse 45 that he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. But remember, God uh, came in Christ to befriend the unfriendly. And now he's going to be betrayed into the hands of the unfriendly, into the hands of sinners. And if you look at verse 50, as Jesus is betrayed, one of his 12 closest friends, his name was Judas, you probably know the story if you've been around the church. It's one of Jesus' closest friends. He betrays him. He says, uh, we're going to go. He brings a mob of people. We're going to go get Jesus. And the one that I kiss, which is a friendly greeting, that's the one that you arrest. This is Jesus. God came to be friends, verse 50, after Judas has kissed him. Jesus says, friend, why have you come? He calls him friend, still. And he knows what Judas is doing. He knew that Judas was going to do it. He knew from the beginning that this is what would happen. And yet, friend, friend, why have you come? You're going to betray me with a kiss? says in another gospel. You see, what Judas did to Jesus is what everyone does. We all minimize him. We all turn from him. Uh, when Jesus is betrayed, you'll find that all of his friends, they run away. They flee. They're like, I'm out of here. I'm not going down with you. I'm out. I want to preserve myself. Peter, his closest friend, denies him three times. You know the story. And think about that. He had time after the first, I'll give him the first time, okay? You're in the moment, you put on the spot, you just, uh, no, I don't know. But then you have time to feel the weight of what you just did and to think about it, and he gets two more chances. Denial, denial. He denies him three times. Everyone turns on him. There is no one that stands up and says, no, that's my friend. He's innocent. What you're saying about him isn't true. No, that's my friend. You can't kill him. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. No one that he befriended stands up and says, that's my friend. No one. Silence. None of his friends stand up. This is what they have in common. They'd all flee. They'd all deny. 
And yet that reality is what makes looking at the friendship of Jesus all the more astounding because the last question I want to ask is, what does friendship look like for Jesus? Jesus knows all this would happen. He says it up to this point a number of times, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to abandon me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He knows that Judas, you're going to betray me. He knows all the way through that this is what's going to happen because the scriptures called for it. So he knows this is going to happen, and yet how does Jesus handle friendship? Verse 38, he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me, knowing what they're going to do. Jesus, at his worst moment, well, looking forward to his worst moment, at one of the worst, deepest, darkest moments of his life, how does he interact with his friends? Be with me. Come near. I need you. See, Jesus' friendship for him was authentic. He wasn't hiding how he felt. He wasn't saying, yeah, you know, guys, I'm kind of having a hard time right now. Can you be near? No, I am grieved to the point of death. He didn't go, it's fine. It's all good. I just need a moment away. I just need a moment in prayer. You know, if they said, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? He didn't go, oh, I'm great even though he was doing terrible. No, I am grieved to the point of death. Friendship for Jesus was authentic. Do you know friendship like this? Friendship for Jesus was intentional. You'll see this throughout the Gospels. He's, he's leading his friends. He's, he's showing them the kingdom of God. He's pushing them forward to love God and to love people. It's intentional. It's not flippant. He's always up to something to glorify God, to push his kingdom forward. He's authentic. He's intentional. One of the things I find, it, this, this was the first time I ever noticed this, studying this passage, and it really jumped out to me that Jesus, in Gethsemane, we, we know the story. If you've been around the church, you hear it every Good Friday, right around Easter time, you hear this story. I have never noticed until this time studying. I always thought, okay, Jesus is just praying. It's like a triune moment, Father, Son, Spirit, praying, and it's just like this solo thing. Who else is there? His friends. It's not, a, it's not a private moment. Now, it's a prayer between God the Son and God the Father and the power of God the Spirit, but his disciples are in earshot. In fact, he tells them, come with me. Stay with me. Be with me. He invites his friends in, even to his deepest, darkest moment. Jesus wasn't alone here. He brought his friends in. He could have easily said, hey, guys, this is too heavy for you. Like, I'm about to be sweating blood, which is what, which is what he does. Like, you guys stay away. It's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be gross. Like, I'm going to be, you're going to see me in a state like you've never seen me before. I am going to be so weak. Angels are going to have to strengthen me. I'm going to be sweating blood. You guys don't want to see that. Just, just stay out, and then when I'm feeling better, I'll bring you in. No, stay with me. Be with me. Pray with me. Stay awake. Watch. This is what friendship looks like for Jesus, because this, this moment was so deep and was so dark because he was looking into the cup of the wrath of God that he was about to drink for his friends and for you and me, for all of our unfriendliness. He was looking into what's about to happen. That's why he says, let this cup pass me, pass from me if at all possible, because he's looking into the cup of wrath for sins, for unfriendliness towards God and towards one another. And he's about to drink it to the dregs for you and for me 
and for his friends. This is why he's in such a dark moment, and yet he invites them in. And one more thing I want to point out about what friendship looks like for Jesus is, as we talked about, they would all abandon him. They would deny him. One would betray him with a kiss. His friends all dip out. Forget about that guy. I don't know him. After Jesus is killed, he dies on the cross for their sins and for your sins and mine, and he rises from the dead. This is a striking moment in John chapter 21. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared a few times to his disciples, and, and they're out on the water. They're fishing. They're fishermen. If you didn't know that, and Jesus shows up on the shore. This is after his friends have all betrayed him, after his friends have all denied him, after no one stood up for him and said, that's my friend, don't kill him. That's my friend, stop, I'll die with him. After all of that, verse 4, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. Friends, he still calls them friend. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast a net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. It's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, and the other disciples came in a boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some fish with you, some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said to them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, come have breakfast with me, Jesus told them. Come have friends, friends who just denied me, friends who just betrayed me, friends who no one stood up for me, friends. Catch a bunch of fish. Here's an abundance. Now come have breakfast with me. Come have a meal with me. You're my friends. Jesus, for him, friendship is patient. It's forgiving. It's understanding. That's why he came. So what's the result of all this? What do we, how do we think about friendship and what it means that God became a friend? Uh, John Tyson, he's a pastor. He says this. He says, religion is man searching for God but Christianity is God searching for man. Religion is man searching for God, but Christianity is God searching for man. And as God comes in the flesh on that search, how does he come? He comes as a friend. He comes to, to, to befriend us. And this has always been God's heart is to make friends with the unfriendly, friends with those at enmity with him, friends with those who would deny him, friends with those who would scorn him, friends with those who would reject him. This has always been God's heart. Uh, in the book of James, he looks back to Abraham, who was uh, really the first of God's friends. His name was Abram, and God was establishing, I'm going to make a people, and he chose Abram. And, and James looks back at that time, and he says this, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Friends from the beginning, BFFs, that was God's goal. Come believe in me, let's be friends. And we fast forward to Jesus with his disciples and he tells them in John 15, I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. 
They're more than just followers. They're more than just learners. They're his friends. He cares about them. Jumping all the way forward to Revelation, as, as God is talking to the churches and, and warning them, and, and, and it's a warning even for us if you read those. It's, it's words to the church today, and he says this in Revelation 3.20, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Friend, let's have breakfast together. Let's have a meal. That's still God's heart is to befriend the unfriendly. That's what God's about. That's what he's up to. As we think about the Christmas season and God coming in the flesh, he came to be a friend and to make friends. So what does that friendship mean for you and me? How do we think about living this out? How does it matter as we go through the holiday season? Or as you go to work tomorrow and you're tired and don't want to be there? How, how does God's friendship matter? What does it mean for you? There's a couple of uh, points I want to make uh, as we think about how we live this out. The first is to ask a question. Ask, have you accepted God's friend request? Have you accepted God's friend request? Now, uh, as I say that, your mind probably goes to social media, and you think I'm being kitschy with that. I actually want to draw a distinction. As I say that, God's friend request could not be more different than a friend request as we think of it. It could not be more different because as you receive a friend request online, what you're receiving is an invitation to, uh, to peer in on someone's life as far as whatever they post on social media and for them to peer into your life as far as whatever you post on social media. And that could be a lot, it could be a little, but it's not real or authentic. It's certainly not intentional, typically. I had a friend uh, recently, a little while back, who uh, we've been friends for a, for a long time, quite a few years, and there's about a two-year period where we really hadn't talked, hadn't seen each other, but we're friends on Facebook, and I'm friends with his wife on Facebook, and so I had this feeling like I'm keeping up with him. I see what's going on in his life. I see pictures of him now and then, usually when she posts them, because guys don't post very often, typically, right? So I felt like, oh man, I, you know, I feel like I know what's going on with his life, and then you know, we hadn't talked in so long, I called him up and said, hey man, let's get lunch together. So we got lunch, and I remember really vividly him walking into the restaurant and thinking, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> Our friendship has been nothing for so long. And we gave each other a hug. I'm not typically a huggy person, but he is. So I reciprocated, and I gave him a hug, and I had the, the feeling of, man, I miss you. I haven't seen you. Now, we've been friends over that whole period, right? But as we sat, sat down and talked, it was like, I... I have not seen you at all in two years. Sure, I've seen pictures of you. Sure, I've seen some posts online, whatever. But that's not friendship. And we live in a world that says that's friendship. That's okay. A passing, uh, uh, not embodied friendship, right? Jesus came as an embodied friend. That should, that should mean something to us. That should tell us something. He came in a body, in the flesh, and took on friends. Now, here's a question. Have you accepted God's friend requests. This friend request, it invites you in to an intentional, authentic relationship where you know him deeply and he knows you deeply, where you are seen and you can see others, where you are real and you feel the, the, the real uh, personality of God. Now, I would submit that many of us, maybe, if you're like me, I definitely find myself in seasons of this. 
Our relationship with God is closer to our relationship with Facebook friends. Yeah, we see posts every now and then. You know, scroll through the Bible here and there. If we're bored or if we got extra time or if we woke up early, you know, we'll scroll through and see some updates from him, right? We'll like one every now and then. Oh, we'll like a verse. And every now and then we'll check in with him. We'll pray something and it's like us posting an update to his news feed. Oh, here I am. Here's my life. It's good. You know, my filters are on, so I look great. Life is perfect. Hashtag blessed. And that's the relationship we have with God. Every now and then we check in with him. Yeah, we see some stuff going on. Every now and then he checks in with us. Yeah, cool. But it's this distant and removed and not embodied relationship. Can you relate this morning to that type of a relationship with God? Well, his friend request is for something so much more than that. His friend request is, is come and experience life in me. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said that he came to give life and give it abundantly, and we find that life in relationship with God, where we're talking with him through prayer and through reading the Bible regularly. We're hearing from him, and he's hearing from us, and it's a dynamic relationship where, where even like I had reading this passage, I read it and go, whoa, I didn't realize that. Jesus' friends are with him in the garden? Whoa. That tells me something about this God that I worship. And we pray, and there's times in prayer, maybe you've had this where even as you're articulating something, God is revealing your own heart to you, and you go, oh man, my motivations are not right here, even for what I'm praying for. Something is happening there. God is building friendship with you, and you are building friendship with him. The other thing that you do with friends to really get to know them is you walk with them. You hang out with them. You do stuff with them. It's the same with God. We go with him where he is. We follow his call. Have you accepted that friend request from God? Not the one where it's distant. Not the one where you scroll every now and then. Not the one where, where actually you could delete that app and your life wouldn't change a bit. Not that kind of friendship. The one where that friendship is a part of you. Have you accepted that one? I want to say, if you're not a Christian here, you're like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking like my kids ask me, like, what is, how do you just talk to God? Dad, does he talk to you? Well, yeah, sort of. But what does he sound like? Some of the ones my, my kids like to ask. What does God sound like? And it's, it's an interesting question to ask. And actually, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to ask that question. And the answer isn't an audible sound, typically. But here's what he sounds like, grace and mercy and love and justice and patience. And I want to invite you, if you are not a Christian, if you're here and you hear this, you go, man, I don't, I don't know about this friendship with God. I don't know about that. I don't know how to receive that. Well, we read it just a minute ago in James. He said that Abraham, who was someone far from God, who was not a friend of God, he was an enemy of God because he doesn't worship him. What it took for Abraham to be brought near and be called a friend was he believed. He believed. He had faith that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, put your faith in the one who came for you, who died for you, who rose from the dead for you. Trust him and you can be his friend. And if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to that deeper friendship with God. Let's go there together with him. That's our 
first, live it out point. And secondly, pursue Jesus-shaped friendships today. Pursue Jesus-shaped friendships today. Pursue friendships that look like Jesus' friendships. I love what Scott McKnight said. He says, wisdom is living in God's world in God's way, and God's way is the way of Christ. So you want to have wise friendships? You want to know what friendship looks like? Wisdom is living in God's world in God's way, and God's way is the way of Christ. We look at Jesus We look at his friendships, what they looked like, who they were with, and we say, if I want to walk with Jesus, I want to have friendships like that. Friendships that are diverse. Friendships that are across different ideologies. Friendships with with people who could not be more different than one another. Maybe more different than you. And yet, love for one another bridges the gap. Do you believe that love can do that? It did for Jesus. Love bridged the gap, friendships that are authentic, where we're not putting on a a face. Don't walk around with your filter on, right? We want to walk around like we've got a filter on, like everything's okay, remove all the splotches. And I'm not talking about makeup, I'm talking about just the the reality of life, just everything's good, it's great. What is really going on? Is there anyone in your life that you call friend that actually knows what's going on? Is there anyone who knows the things that really pain you, the things that are really hurting you, the things that really excite you, the things you're struggling with? Is there anyone who knows that? Authentic friendships, intentional friendships, friendships where we spur one another on to see the kingdom of God and to walk in its reality, just like Jesus did for those around him. Do you have a friend like that or friends like that? Friendships that are gracious and patient because we will let each other down. We are unfriendly at times. We do shoot each other in the back, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Pursue Jesus-shaped friendship today. And that doesn't mean, all right, my friends suck, toss them out, I'm going to get new ones. No, make those friendships that you have Jesus-shaped friendships. Pursue these things. Who was Jesus as a friend? Let's be like him. I want to invite the band up as we close. Church, in Christ, God becomes friends with the unfriendly. That's you and that's me. And we live in a world that is starving for friendship. Do you see it? The world is starving for friendship. That is why. That's why social media is so popular because we are starving for friendship. We want to have friends, and we want to be friends. We want to be relevant through friendship. Here's the thing. Real friendship, authentic friendship, true friendship starts with your friendship with God and then goes out to your friendship with others who have that friendship with God. That is what the world needs. They need to see an example of true friendship, of enmity broken down, of hostility cast away, of divisions still maybe existing in some, on some level. We're not a monolith. We're not all the same, but they don't define us because God's love defines us. The world needs that. The world is yearning for that. The world is calling out for that. And we can sit back and we can criticize. We can go, yeah, you guys don't know how to be friends. You just want to do social media stuff and you suck. But here's the thing. I love what Richard Rohr says. He says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. The best criticism of the bad 
is the practice of the better. Church, can we practice the better together? Can we practice the better in our friendship with God, in our friendships with one another, so that a watching world can look in and go, something is different there. This Jesus has power. He has life. I could be friends with him. May it be true of us. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, we come to you as friends. And that feels uh, so presumptuous, God, to look at the Holy One of Israel, the God who is an all-consuming. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.